0: When a teaching series called Jesus, the bridge to the other side of your story. And we have to remember that God is always writing our story, right? He's not done yet. As one of my great friends, David Crabtree, who's been here and preached in the past before us, says, he always says, Mike, the final chapter of your story's not been written yet. And, and we know the author, so we know it's good. We know that God has good things for all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus. So, guys, let's open our Bibles. Romans 15 is where we're going to go today. It's on You Version, I remember this week. Uh, it'll be up on You Version. If you go there, look under Charlotte's Hope Church. And I want to speak a message to us today that I know this sounds like hype, and please understand uh, if you've been with us at all, you know we're not about hype. But I think this is one of the most important messages you're going to hear in 2022. I believe that with all my heart because it it comes around a promise God has made to us when we find ourselves in a certain place, in a certain condition, and it it speaks to us both as a church, as families, as individuals, and I'm so excited to, to bring this into our lives today because we've been talking about this bridge that Christ created when he died on the cross for us, a bridge to God's presence In his presence, there is fullness of joy, the psalmist says. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He made this bridge for you and I so we can experience God, that he's not this nebulous figure that we all just talk about but don't know. No, he is our Father God. We have relationship with him, and he brings us peace. We talked last week about how this is a bridge to transformation. We, we are not saved and then we just hang on till Jesus gets back. No, he is shaping us, changing us, expanding through us his vision of our lives because he created us to know him and to make him known. So again, we, we see this transforming work happening. And now today I want to just talk about a third piece of this that wasn't part of my plan. I mean, you know God's plans are not always our plans, right? It wasn't part of my plan until I'd already written the sermon for this week and Wednesday God said no. And I said, okay, i got a little more work to do. But the work wasn't hard because when God's laying it out, it just flows from him to us. And today I want to speak about Jesus being the bridge to unity. Jesus being the bridge to unity. Romans 15 verses 5 through 6 says this, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as it is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Can we just say amen there for a second? Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that passage, and he says that you will learn to live in complete harmony harmony with each other if we are honest to ourselves and our humanity we will say pastor i'm not sure that can happen we've proven that over the last two years we're not sure that can happen but how many know that god has promised unity among his people and out of the unity flows blessing that we all want to receive you see as you read this passage it's incredibly counterculture, cultural because everywhere we look there's division we can't talk about anything without division I, if, I, if I say the word politics, I'm afraid y'all are going to get triggered and like, I can't go to that church anymore. Right? But yet God has called us to unity. And he's made promises to our marriages, to our families, to our church, to us relationally, individually, when we learn to honor the very thing Christ came to give us. Listen, there, there's so much around us that can separate us, but Jesus puts us together. Amen. We can get separated about things that we should not be separated about. We should not be separated about whether we ought to be about racial justice, somebody. We should not be separated about that. But can I tell you, Satan separated the church over that. heart of God is grieved. We should not be separated over the fact there are inequalities in our society. Then we need to be part of that. That's why we feed. That's why we engage. Christ came to give us unity about that. We can be separated about theological issues that don't really matter in the long term. That are not heaven and hell issues, but are just unique preferences among us. And if we're not careful, they separate families and they separate churches. And I tell you guys, God is not pleased in that. Because he has made a promise to us that reflects the very heart of our Savior, who prayed to his Father when he was on earth in John 17, 21. He said, Father, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Can I tell you something about unity today? Unity is what gives the message of Jesus a launching pad. It gives Jesus a launching pad for the message of unity. I was thinking about that, and I had this weird random thought, so forgive me for a metaphor that maybe won't work for you, but uh, last week we were, we were telling you about a, a football soccer game coming up, and I'm laughing because I, I, I'm about American football. I love soccer, but can I tell you, I was raised in the South. I, I love football. And if you follow the draft, and everything, it's about a football week, right? And I don't know why this weird imagery came in my mind about this launching path for Jesus. Have you ever watched a competition with cheerleaders? Have you ever seen a cheerleader competition? And when they do crazy stuff, I would never let my daughter be one of those. I'm sorry. Uh, even though she got beat up in volleyball. They would, they, you see them, they take a young girl, and they're like, one, two, and what do they do? On three, they throw her up in the air, and they're all hoping like, oh, God, I hope she lands right, right? And You know what? It goes pretty well when they all do it in sync but can i tell you when one of them launches on two and the rest on three their poor girl's gonna land on her head and everybody's gonna get hurt and in the same way when a church or a body or a family is dysfunctional without unity the image of christ we're throwing out for the world to see looks nothing like him and people get hurt and people get broken i was going to show a video but it was just too cruel i couldn't do it yeah we shouldn't laugh should we but I laughed. and That's why I didn't show it. Because people get hurt. Guys, in the same way, we have to understand there's the enemy of our soul, Satan, who wants to tear apart families, churches, and individuals, because when it happens, we can't launch the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Here's a truth I want you to see. The church is not to be a reflection of society. The church is not to be a reflection of society, but a reflector to society of the glory and the goodness of our God. We we ought to be a mirror out to our community, out to our world, saying, this is what Jesus looks like. This is what it looks like in our marriage. It looks like in our family. It looks like in our church when he is preeminent over all things. And Paul was writing this message in Romans to an incredibly diverse audience backgrounds ethnicities places experiences and he was saying look there is a value to this unity that god has promised to us but we've got to work hard at it even in the understanding of unity we get it wrong sometimes can i tell you unity is not sameness we're bad about that in the church we will segregate the church in so many ways so that we can have sameness but that's not unity unity should look like what heaven looks like amen because unity is about the body of Christ, the beautiful creation of God coming together and working something in us. Here's a working definition for you for unity. I should have put it up on the screen. I didn't, but it says this. People who are different. And how many know you're sitting next to people who are different? Yes. I'm looking at this front row here. Anyway, people who are different <laughs> headed in the same direction to achieve a common purpose. Yes. Let me say that again if you're writing it down. People who are different headed in the same direction to achieve a common purpose forgive me for the football analogies again but yesterday was the draft everybody thinks there are certain players that are better than everybody else right but can i tell you the panthers someday will win the panthers are individuals with different gifts and talents and assignments pointing toward the same goal line. Their differences are necessary if they're ever going to win. Can I tell you, you can put 12 Tom Bradys on the field, and you know what the score will be at the end of the day? He will lose by 150 points to nothing because one position doesn't make a team. It takes the big old fat boys up front to guard him, or he'll never complete a pass for anything. In the same way in the church, we have this unique difference of gifts and perspectives and backgrounds. And when God puts it together, he shows the world, here's the beauty of Christ. Same people, very different, pointing the same direction to achieve a common purpose. And it's the same in your family. It's the same in your company. It's the same in the church. For without unity, God's blessing, power, presence, and favor upon a church or upon you individually is impossible say, Mike, how do you know that? Because the promises of God's word have been made yes and amen through Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 133, beautiful picture of unity, he gives us this promise. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Is that not true? How good and pleasant it is. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collars of his robe. What's that about, right? Aaron, the first priest of the children of Israel, was anointed, called out, separated, and in the day of his blessing, they poured oil over his head as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, saying, when we walk in the direction God has us to walk in, there is anointing that rests on us. Where there is anointing, there is power. The Word says, says this where the anointing of the lord is there is freedom Amen. and so many people need freedom in different areas of your life but we don't receive it unless the anointing flows over us and the anointing is found where there is freedom it's as if the dew of hermon was falling on mount zion Who is hermon Who is zion quick picture for you mount hermon is the tallest mountain in israel it's snow-capped most of the year in fact, the, the Jordan River and even the Sea of Galilee, that's the headwaters that come out of that, as, as opposed to Mount Zion, which is in the desert. It's dry, it's arid, there's no life there. He says where there is unity, it's like the blessing of the flow of water, of snow, comes down to that dry place and brings life wherever it goes. And can I tell you, there is no difference in that than it is in the promise of what God wants to do in us. Because he says when there is unity, look at this, for there the Lord bestows blessing, even life forevermore. In a different translation, in ESV, it says, for there the Lord commands his blessing and life forevermore. How many want God's blessing in your marriage? How many want God's blessing in your life, in your parenting, in your church, in your business? Can I tell you, it's not going to come unless there's unity, because the unity opens the door for that. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 3, he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Later in Romans 12, he says, as far as it depends on you and me, be at peace with all men. Guys, unity is absolutely critical to the spread of the gospel. It's absolutely critical to your life becoming what God called it to be, the, the other side of your story. It's absolutely critical to the witness and the health and the vitality of the life of the church of Jesus Christ. An author that I've read, Sheldon Van Auken, he's the author of Severe Mercy, wrote this. He says, The strongest argument for Christianity is Christians when they are drawing life from God. The strongest argument against Christianity is Christians when they become exclusive, self-righteous, and complacent. Listen, I want every one of us to experience the other side of the story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was stuck, but now I'm free. Can I tell you, we're not going to experience that until we walk in a unity that honors our Father and honors our God. But how do we do that? How do we walk in it? Because it's, it's kind of like the rah-rah. You know, We can say, yes, let's go about unity, but unless we know how, we're not going to achieve it. And Paul lays out in Romans 15 a pathway to unity that I want to share with you today. And I, and I wanted to get a hold of us because I'm telling you, this message is going to make a difference in your marriage, in your family, in our church, in our witness, and what God has for us in the days ahead. So how do we bring unity in the body of Christ? How do we bring unity in our marriage, our family? It starts in Romans 15:1, and and he says this, "...we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves." Here's my fourth point about how we obtain and maintain unity. And I put it this way. We've got to appreciate and not just tolerate each other. We've got to learn to appreciate and not just tolerate each other. Listen, as a church, we are in a place where God has called us. I think we, we lose this in the South, and I think we lose this in Charlotte particularly. We think church is a consumption where we're going to go and take in a show, and we're going to go to 10 different ones that so we like the show. No, God God calls us into a body of Christ. He plants us like a like tree planted by the rivers of water. There's a rootedness that God wants to have in our lives. And we have to recognize that, that it's not always about our preferences, but it's about God's will for our lives. I put it this way. I've been told this over the years so many times. Someone say, oh, pastor, we have the perfect marriage. And everything inside of me wants to go, liar, liar, liar. There's no such thing. What I do know is this. What they're saying to me is, most everything I love and I love absolutely. But I've also learned to overlook a few things over the years. That's the perfect marriage because there is no such perfect marriage. There's no such perfect person. In the same way, church will never be perfect. But if we all sit back and make a critic of what we don't like and actually follow only our preferences, can I tell you the gospel is going to be squashed in that place because of us, not because of God? And it's the same in your marriage, it's the same in your family. You want God's blessing over your marriage? Get unified, have a goal, have a purpose walk as one. But to do that, we have to learn to appreciate and not just tolerate. The Bible says we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Listen, we've got to be careful that we do not put preferences over the gospel or the evidence of salvation. But this grace disruption we've walked through over the last couple of years has caused many in the local church to forget this altogether and just make it all about them and not about us. So who's weak? When you read this, it says, those that are strong need to bear the failings of the weak. And what do we do? We're like, oh, we're the strong. That's what he's talking to, right? Well, if you go back on your own time and read chapter 14, he's basically saying we're all weak. (laughs) he's basically saying we all struggle. And he used food and dietary laws as the example. You can read that on your own time. It all gets caught up in there. But what he was saying is this. He says, the weak are those because of their preferences become overly sensitive and easily triggered and have difficulty separating their preferences from the essential elements of the gospel that make us one. And that's all of us. That's all of us. So we have to Bear the failings of the week. We have to come up under. We have to lift up, not just tolerate, but learn to appreciate each other's. Even we see things differently than than someone else, and stop passing judgment because we don't agree or putting obstacles in people's way. Because that's what was happening when you read Romans fourteen. It's all about whether they should eat meat or not, or whether they, they should just eat vegetables or not. We eat everything. Come on, people. But anyway, it, 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 we see this in a way that says, "Look, we got to learn to appreciate." I'm so thankful for the beauty of the body of Christ as we're not all same. Sameness would be boring. Sameness would get old. Sameness would just have no flavor. Come on, it's like a vanilla milkshake. It doesn't work. You got to have some flavor to make it life. And the body of Christ should have that same kind of flavor. So first of all, we got to appreciate, not just tolerate. Secondly is this, we need to learn to build each other up, build one another up. Romans 15, 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. How many know the world does a good job of tearing us down? We do a good job of tearing us down. If you really listen to your inner speech, if you listen to the, what the, the loop that goes on in your head, for most people I meet, there's always a negative playlist and a positive playlist going on, but the negative playlist seems to be louder for most people these days, and it beats us down. You're no good. You've failed. See what's going to happen again. We've been through this all over again. And it's constantly playing in our minds. And the Bible says because of that, we should be responsible to each other to build each other up. We need to be pleasing our neighbors. Who's our neighbor? Go back to the story of the Good Samaritan. Those in need, which is all of us. And how do we do it? We do it mostly with our words. Words of encouragement. Encouragement. Words of strength, words that lift up. Why? Because again, most people are too hard on themselves and they need a word of encouragement to build them up. Listen, the world is so quick to criticize and it's so quick to tear down those who are getting more attention than we are. Somebody, can I just land there for a second? I just feel like I should just stand here for a second and go, just let that sink in. We are so quick to try to pull down anybody we see this getting ahead of us that's not the way of Christ he said in honor preferring one another thinking less of us and more of them that's the that's the christian thought so if we're going to build each other up, we've got to recognize that it should not be in us, the church of Jesus Christ. Here's my challenge to every one of us this week, and that's this. I want to challenge every one of us to find somebody and to say 10 encouraging words to them today. Today. Now, that, some of y'all, you just lost your Twitter handle right there because like, you can't make up what all... I mean, it won't even offset half of what you've said. Find somebody. Maybe you're sitting next to them. Maybe you've been separated from somebody. Maybe there's a distance that is has formed. And just maybe God's called you just to speak into their life encouragement. Every week I pray, God, show me who you want me to talk to this week god who do i who do i gather around i i have a responsibility for a lot of pastors in the area and this week he gave me three of them and i just got coffee sit down i just went up and say you are doing amazing i didn't even know what they're doing you are doing amazing i want to speak into their lives because the world's tearing down, God says to build up. How do we do this? Again, we build each other up. We, we appreciate, we don't tolerate. Ephesians 4, 29 should be our life verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Parents, your kids pick up on your language. They pick up on your language. They pick up on your negativity. They pick up on your habits. Parenting's not about going to a class and then you just do everything right. No, it's life. And we got to be so careful because if we not, then what we're doing is we're building up this, this expectation that we're always tearing down life. Words have power. There was research that was done out of the University of Denver and the Catholic University, and they said this. They said, hostile put-downs act as a cancerous cells that if unchecked, they erode the relationships over time. They said, in fact, so much so that the key to marriages of staying together versus those who don't survive are the words that are spoken to each other. So we got to build each other up. Third thing, live to please the Father. Live to please the Father. Romans 15, verses 2 through 3, each of us should please our neighbors, right? For their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, he took it all on himself. He didn't come just to do his thing. He didn't come just to please himself, but literally to please his Father. Look at this in John four thirty four. Jesus said this, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Later in John 5, verse 30, he said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The whole life of Christ, when you study the Gospels, was all about, I'm here to do the work of the Father. I'm here to do the work of the Father. I'm here to do the work of the Father. Not my will, he prayed, Lord, but yours be done. When he he knew God could have done some things differently, he said, but Lord, I submit to you. Why? Because of his love for the Father. And can I tell you, in the same way, our love for the family of God shows our love for our Heavenly Father. When we're tearing down another believer, we're tearing down the creation of God. When we're criticizing a ministry because maybe we don't like the way they do a few things, can I tell you? We're criticizing the work of God. They're, they're, can I tell you? Our God is bigger than denominations, bigger than personalities, bigger than theological differences. And we should be celebrating the kingdom of God because there are no competitions in the kingdom of God. We, we, are, we are surrounded. You should come out on a Thursday night and just see the fellowship of the believers of this area that nobody's out here wearing a t-shirt promoting their church. No, we are, we're Hope Street. We're doing one thing together. Why? Because unity opens the doors for the gospel to flow. Yes. In the same way, you may have come out of a church and you're like, well, you know, they didn't do a lot of things right and I didn't like that. Get over it. And don't bring it here. Yes. Because if we don't deal with things up front, we carry them with us whether that's into our marriage from office or into our church or somewhere else. Is it okay if I preach this way today? Because I'm convinced, guys, this is one of the most important messages in 2022 because it's got to change. We cannot relive 20 and 21 again as the body of Christ and have any impact in the kingdom of God around this nation. If we're going to get caught up again in all the mess that we walk through and let it separate us instead of drawing us together in unity and saying we may see things differently, but we are one. And we walk as one, and building up others around us. See, a lot of unity or disunity depends on who we're trying to please. If we're pleasing the Father and we're going after His will, then we will always be in the place that builds people up. Because can I tell you, He will never, His will will never run contrary to His word, and His word speaks about building people up always in honor, preferring one another over ourselves, our opinions about anything, anything. I got opinions, you got opinions. At the end of the day, compared to God's word, our opinions don't matter because his word never changes. I have preferences, you have preferences. At the end of the day, they don't matter because the word of God gives us a clear way of worshiping and serving him with spirit and in truth. And when we live to do the will of the Father, the world will notice because one of the keys to unity is living to please our God and to encourage others. Say, how do we do that? Four step. I know I got a lot of steps today, but it takes a lot of steps for us to finally get a hold of it. And that is, let God's word strengthen and encourage you. Let God's word strengthen and encourage you. One of the things that we study as ministers, and we found to be true coming out of these two years of season that we're all like, what happened? One of the things that came very clear in our surveys and all the studies that were done is this, is people were not spending time in God's word. They were getting a little nibble on Sunday, and that was enough. Or a proverb for the day, but that was it. No, we've got to be people of God's Word because God's Word does something in us that we can't do ourselves. Look at this in verse 4 of chapter 15. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Those that want to do away with the Old Testament, stop it. There are lessons there for us to learn, to know who our God is, and to see the consequences of sin. Okay, It was written for our... our and oh, and By the way, the early church and the early Christians didn't have the New Testament anyway. And yet they were turning the world upside down. You know why? They had the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, those two things will change your life. And they'll turn the world upside down again. But he said they were written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? Hope. Hope. See, when you're in the Word, it gives us Endurance. When the word is your life, it gives you the ability to stand when everything else is falling apart around you. It tells you that it is worth it to stand even when others around you are falling apart. There's that endurance. It gives us encouragement because it reminds us that God walks with us by his Holy Spirit. He comforts us through the word of God. He promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Man, come on, what a promise. And it leads to hope. And of course, we love right hope the anticipation of what god is going to do and i just wrote my notes big do it again lord because what he's done before he can do again and that should be our cry church lord turn this nation upside down for you father turn my family back to you god turn my turn my 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 neighbors oh god there there may be hostility over a a, a stupid yard sign doing political season but you know what god forget all that we want to know that Jesus Christ is Lord to all of those around us. So don't get lazy about reading God's Word. It gives us the things we need, encouragement, endurance, and hope that will bring us to unity. Fifth step, I know. I know. When I have more than two steps, I'm like, shame on me. But I have seven, and we're going to make it, all right? Number five, let God's power develop maturity in you. Amen. Verses five and six, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way the message translation put it. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. You never thought about that? Jesus gets along with us. Do you know that God loves you? Do you really know that? Do you know that he also likes you? There's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah. I've had people tell me that about other people in, in the body. Oh, I love them. I just don't like them, Pastor. I, you know. We're going to tell you, there's a disconnect going on right there. there. There's something not right when that's the heart attitude. All right? You may not like something they do, but you've got to learn to like them. And oh, by the way, if Jesus gets along with us, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so he doesn't change. And he knows us inside. He knows us out. And he loves us more than we can imagine. And in the same way, if we're going to represent Christ, we have to have that same mindset that God will develop maturity in us as we obey his word, no matter what the consequences. To love someone when it hurts, to love them. To love someone through a hard time, instead of just criticizing them stepping on them. To to love people when they change, even. And say, I'm not going to give up on you when you go through a hard place. You see, we can't create maturity in ourselves. It's God who creates it in us. But let's measure maturity properly, okay? Because biblical or Christian maturity is not measured by how much of the Bible you know and can quote, or, or how long you pray, because you can babble like the heathen, the Word of God says, for a long time, or how long you've been a believer. I, I know people that have been in church for 40 years that are mean as a snake. Come on, somebody. They ain't got nothing. They just show up. Your maturity is not measured whether you speak in tongues or have spiritual gifts that are outward. Mm-hmm. Our valuable, these are all good, but the mark of the maturity of believers believer is simply this, how well we get along with each other. Yeah. That's the mark of maturity. How well we get along with each other. But we will never do that unless we're planted and rooted. Because we've proven over the last two years that exiting is an easier strategy. From relationships, God forbid if we treated our marriages like we do the church. The divorce rate would be 90%, not 45. When it gets hard, I'll just leave. When I can't disagree, I'll just, I agree, I'm just going to leave. And yet we're saying, oh God, do it again. Church, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Jesus gets along with us through the ways we got to get along with each other. He bears our burden, somebody. He he, he empathizes with us when we're going through hard times. He encourages us. Praise God. That brings us to one. He loves us. And oh, by the way, he is patient with us. Yet we can be impatient with each other so easily. I I say it multiple times to myself and to you. I'm not what I was. I'm not what I will be. But I'm a whole lot closer to what God wants me to be than I was yesterday. And if we see each other that way, then we give a grace and a a place where people can grow and develop instead of cutting them off when we see immaturity at any point of their lives. You see, maturity is when you and I can get along with one one another as we follow the example of Christ. Listen, James said something so important to this because, again, I know I'm talking a lot about the last two years, and this is important because, guys, look, we're, we're we're not foolish, we're not blind, we're not living in a cave somewhere. The last two years... It's blown up so many things that matter to God. And we can sit back and say, oh, well, it's just what it is. Or we can look back to God and say, no. What God wants is what God wants through us and in us. But it's going to be found, we find it, in, in the unity of the, of the bond of peace. Look, many of us have had our faith tested over the past two years through these tensions, through persecution, through, through pandemic, the political nonsense of our nation. But yet we forget what the Word says in James chapter 1 when he says, "...consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors." So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work, so you may become mature and well developed, not deficient in any way. I love in Romans fifteen six. It said with one voice. I grew up in the days of church choirs. Anybody? I have no problem with church choirs. I just have problems with bad church choirs. It's it's like going to your junior hires band recital. God help us. Somewhere it's going to get good. Somewhere. Someday. But if you judge it in a moment, you're like, sell the trombone, get them out of the class, go kick a ball. This is never going to work. It's the same way. That, listen, one voice means we all may sound disjointed if we're all just focusing on us, but if we come together in one voice, can I tell you, God is praise. God is pleased, and God is lifted up. There was a moment in worship today, I just, I love to sing, but I stopped singing, because y'all were singing so beautifully. And I just stopped, and I said, God, hear that. Hear that. Hear that. That's what we're going to hear in heaven, people. Why not? Let's do it on earth. Amen? Amen. So we've got to let God mature us. Number six, and you can close it in. I'm ahead of time. We're doing good. Number six, if we're going to develop unity among us, we've got to learn to welcome one another. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. One of my good friends, Ron Bernard, 828 8 Church in Wilmington, they, they, they put out as part of their vision, it says, we keep circles open. And what, what it means is simply this, we don't close in like this and say, you're not welcome here. In fact, I challenge us, because sometimes we are good and bad about doing that. We can hang out with who we like to hang out with, but can I tell you, God sends people across the door of Hope Church on purpose, and if we don't open our circles up, if we don't make room, if we don't stand in that place of saying, you are welcome here, you, you, are, you will be loved here, you will be appreciated here, but if we do this, we're saying, move on along, please. Go find one of the other 980-something churches in Charlotte. No, we need to keep our circle open and grow more loving and gracious because when our circles include others that think not always the way we think, it makes us better. I'm on a silo-busting mission in 2022. Church, if we're going to live in our silos, we will not represent Christ at all. But when we learn to listen to people that think differently than we do and love them, and we learn to get around people that see things a little different than we do and let it challenge us, then we're being like Christ. But if we cut them off at the knees and go, oh, how dare you think that way, we're being like Satan, who came to steal, kill, and destroy. It's got to change. It's got to turn. It's got to flip. Gosh, I, I... I... my, my lovely wife she's gonna on the way home like man you're preaching at him today i know i know and it's hard for me to preach at us because i'm preaching to me i know what it's like These last i know what went on in here these last two years i know what went on in here these last two years i know how easy it is to slide into a silo and say y'all to stay out but that's not the call of god on the believer because he promised that whosoever will respond to him, they will be saved. Well, how will they hear unless we tell them? How will they hear unless we show them? And if, if, we're, if we're in disunity, then we're like throwing the cheerleader up, and she's going to fall on her head and hurt people. In The same way the gospel is going to go up, and people are like, we don't want anything to do with that. That looks like you're a political party instead of the body of Christ. Or that looks like you're against everything that, that we need to talk about instead of the body of Christ. No, we need to let the Word of God inform us. So make someone welcome. Don't just hang out with those that you're comfortable with, but welcome and make a place so others can come in. And finally this morning, the last thing, serve one another. It goes without saying, serve one another. Romans 15, 8 through 9. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And, I love this because we're the moreover, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Church, when we serve, when we humble ourselves and serve somebody, come up under them, bear them up, what we're doing is we're telling others that there is a God in heaven, that he is real, and his promises are true for them as much, as, as much as they are for us. But when it comes to serving. We make a statement every time we serve. You may, you may think that people standing at a door or giving coffee or watching a kid in a nursery or handing out bags of groceries or opening the door for someone at your office or speaking a kind word to them. You may think it's no big deal. But when we serve, we are opening the door for the gospel to, try, to walk right through. When you give yourself to service, it speaks and it points them to Christ. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Jesus came not to be served, but to what? Serve. He he came to serve. He came to show us the way. There's this incredible passage in Philippians, and I'm just going to vary there for just a second, and then we're going to wrap this up. In Philippians 2, it's a passage a lot of people have have debated over time and come to different consensuses, but I I want you to see this. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus, said, who being in very nature God. Never forget, he was God that came among us, right? God, God came among us. And the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Here's the point I want you to see out of this. Here's this picture of God sending his son to the earth. Jesus came as fully God but fully man, but he laid down the God part of him to experience everything that we experience and to walk in the same power we walk in, the power of the Holy Spirit to show us the way to live and to come to the Father. But here's the point that this scripture really speaks of. When he humbled himself to be a servant, he wasn't disguising who God is. He was revealing who God is. He wasn't disguising, so let's let's tamp down. No, he was saying, here's who God is. Serve. He came to serve you. He came to let you become the full creation he wanted you to be before sin messed it up. He, He came to put you in a position for you to thrive, to worship him. Let his life flow in you and through you. He didn't do that by just showing commands from on high. He came to serve. In the same way, the greatest way we'll ever show Jesus to anybody is to serve them, not to lecture them. To serve them, not to lecture them. Because serving brings unity. As an old saying, but it's so true, those who are rowing the boat don't have time to rock it. But the key to that is this, is humility. Be on this screen. I love this definition of humility. Having a submitted willingness and a healthy self-forgetfulness which leads to appropriate smallness. (laughs) Having a submitted willingness and a healthy self-forgetfulness, which leads to appropriate smallness. In other words, we wake up every day and say, God, I'm not above serving anybody. God, give me an opportunity to serve somebody. Now let me make one more statement that kind of, again, I think needs to be said in the church of Jesus Christ. Because again, it's a pattern. It's a pattern that we saw as over these last couple of years that became just so true and it's, it's scary. When you come to know Christ, you don't maintain or build your relationship by what you do. You maintain and build your relationship by who you become. Serving is part of that. But by and large, the American church substituted serving for worship. If the only time we see you at Hope is when you're scheduled to serve, you probably should stop serving. Because we're allowing you to be selfish. Because what you're saying is I really don't care to be with the body of Christ to worship God together. I just care to get my brownie points so that me and God are good. That's not. That's not how we express it. Serving is an outflow of who we are, but I can tell you, if we're not spending time in worship, and the Word, and fellowship, we have nothing to offer. But it's a pattern that's got to stop. How do we know that? Because in most churches, if you look in the study right now, and I'm talking about church a lot today, and if you're a visitor, I'm not gonna apologize. We're just you're gonna find about hope. We just lay it out there. What happened in the great transition to whatever you want to call these last couple years is the majority of people who are serving in churches are no longer there. Why? Because they were only serving, they weren't worshiping, they weren't part of the body. They were showing up for a job to get a gold star, and that gold star didn't matter anymore. It's got to change. Because it doesn't bring unity, it actually brings disunity. So I've got to understand, if we're going to see this blessing that God promised work over us, if we're going to see this anointing in our marriages or in our families, if we're, if we're going to truly grasp hold of what God wants to grasp hold for, uh, for us, then we have to prioritize this message. We have to prioritize what does it mean to bring unity and strength into every circumstance, into every place. And I've got to tell you, church, it's got to change. It's got to change. I've been preaching the gospel now for 30, 32 years. And I believe this, there is more opportunity now than ever for there to be an outpouring of God's Spirit on our land. But can I tell you, unless the church gets its act together, the world's going to say, no, thank you. Because y'all are just as divided and messed up as we are, so why bother? So listen, guys. I didn't come today to give you a warm and fuzzy. Sometimes we need an embrace that says, we're better than this. Because God lives in us and he wants to live through us.